So we live in a culture that hates either or choices, either or reality. Right? The culture doesn't like either or moral choices. Like either it's a baby or it's not. They don't like that. They don't like either or religious choices. Either Jesus is the only way to the Father, or that's wrong. Either or. We don't even like either or gender choices these days. It's a little too restrictive, right? Either he's a male or he, she's a female, right? Uh, we don't like that in this culture. So our culture would have hated the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with several either-or realities. He says there are two gates, and only two gates. To follow Christ, you must decisively choose to enter through the narrow gate and not just go along with the crowd through the wide gate. He says there's only two paths. There's the narrow, hard path of following Christ and the wide, easy path that the majority of the world chooses. There's only two trees. Good trees and bad trees. How do you know the difference? Good fruit or bad fruit? There's two eternal destinies. One is to be received and welcomed into eternity. The other is to hear, away from me, I never knew you. Only two foundations, the rock or the sand. And the storm tests which one we're on. Right? Now, as you study those either-or things that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount, here's an interesting thing. Jesus is simply expanding on Psalm 1, which his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David wrote. David wrote Psalm 1, which is about two paths, and only two paths. In fact, let me read the last verse first. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way, or the path, of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Two ways. Okay, that was written by David thousand years before Jesus. So let me read it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1. Right? Now, um, real simple outline. 
we're going to follow. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And under the way of the righteous, first of all, David talks about what the righteous don't do. And then he talks about what the righteous do do. And you grammar Nazis, I looked it up. It's okay to have do do as long as you have a comma. Okay? <laughs> I Googled it. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at the way of the righteous, okay? And, and Jesus, uh, or David, I'm going to confuse the two because I've, I've started with Jesus and now we're going to David. But David says, blessed is the man. Now, you know what else is interesting? When Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with blessed. He begins with the eight Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Okay. Uh, did I say the pure in spirit? The poor in spirit and the, the, the pure in heart. Okay. What does blessed mean? Well, here in the, the little ESV footnote, it says blessedness is more than a circumstantial feeling of happiness. It's a state of well-being in our relationship to God. Okay? Happiness is, I got a new car, and I feel happy, but that doesn't provide this deep, satisfying sense of well-being with God. Um, some of you know we've, we've had golden retrievers, and um, golden retrievers... Are, uh, they're, they're always checking to make sure everybody's okay, right? So <laughs> we'd be uh, in the room, and uh, a dog would get up, and he'd come over to each person, and you pet him. Oh, we're okay, Tucker, okay? And he'd go to the next person, and then he'd go back and just be content, right? That's what this is saying. Blessed is knowing you're okay with God. Right? That's what blessedness is. There's nothing that can compare with that. You can be rich. You can have luxury. You can have all the toys. And deep down, not be blessed. Knowing you're good with God. No matter how rich or poor you are, that's what being blessed is. Now, if you understand the gospel, and you understand what we just talked about during communion, you know that your rightness, your blessedness with God is not based on your performance. It's based on what Jesus did for you. He lived a perfect life in your place, and he died a perfect death in your place to pay for your sins. Okay? So, what we're going to talk about here, and we're going to talk about Meditating on the Word of God. Okay? But let's put this in the right place. What, what that is, meditating on the Word of God, is what the righteous do as a result of their rightness with God. They don't do it to earn the rightness with God. Okay? In other words, what we're going to talk about today 
It's going to be challenging. It's going to ask us to do some hard things. Right? It's going to ask us to make the Word of God our priority. Why? So we can live into or fully experience the blessedness that you already have. Okay? Just want to get the order right. It's the cross that makes you right with God. But now, how do you experience that? How do you live into that? So let's begin with the way of the righteous, and then David talks about what the righteous don't do. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, okay, the advice of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. So you picture a bunch of people walking, they're in the way, they're in the path, and you're standing there, and pretty soon you're, you're moving along with them. So first you're listening, now you're moving along with them, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So now you're sitting down and you're one of them. Okay. Notice the, the downward spiraling digression here. Starts with listening, then you're caught up in the path, and pretty soon you're settled in the path. Okay. It begins with being influenced. It begins with listening or seeing or embracing other people's input. Interesting, I came across this statistic this week. The average teen spends eight hours a day in front of a screen. Could be a computer, could be a phone, could be TV. Okay. So that's 56 hours a week. 3,000 hours a year. And you go, that's horrible. Many adults spend 11 hours a day in front of a screen. I know some seniors, no, nobody here, right? No. <laughs> who spend every waking second with the TV on. It's just pouring in, pouring in. Okay. Now, um, as a little side note, you know, a lot of talk today about AI, artificial intelligence, and how dangerous it is. And when you listen, the danger that they talk about is a security danger that, you know, it can figure out your passcodes and everything, uh, and privacy issues. I'm more concerned that we're already there. And, and, and what the danger is, is just mindlessly embracing whatever Google, Siri, or Alexa says. If it's, if it's out there and you say, hey, Alexa, I'm probably setting off some of your phones right now. Um, and whatever the answer comes at you, you just assume, oh, well, it's coming from the internet. It must be good. Right? Now, um, some facts out there are neutral. Okay? What time is it? Will it rain today? How tall is Tom Cruise? Anybody know? Google. 
Five foot seven. He's a little shrimpy guy. Okay. So there's, there's, are you five seven? No. Okay. <laughs> I just insulted anybody who's five seven. <laughs> um, so there, there's, there are neutral facts out there, but, but what about anything that involves morals or ethics? Like, how many genders are there? How did humanity get here? Is sex outside of marriage morally acceptable? Are there many paths to God? I asked Google that just yesterday. I said, hey, Google, how many paths to God are there? And it said, I can't answer that question, but here's an article. And the article said there's four paths to God. It hooked me up with some Hindu thing, okay? Hey, Google, what must I do to be saved? Do you think you're going to get the answer there? What are my responsibilities as a husband and a father? Is pornography okay? Sure, let me serve you some up, they, they would say, okay? So all of these are moral questions whose answer depends on whether you believe God and the Bible is your ultimate authority or not. The digital world we're living in is already Orwell's dystopian nightmare. You go, how can we have moved into crazy world where we don't know basic things? Orwell talked about it back in 1984. He wrote it back in 48. It's about 1984, and we're in it now, where you just, you put out the information, even though it's not reality, but it's, it's out there, and we're living in that time. Now, what David says is, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I, I'm not saying you know, go off the grid and go hide in the cabin. At minimum, I'm saying, realize everything has a bias to it. And have you settled in on saying, my final authority, my ultimate authority is God and His Word? Many people don't do that. Many people don't even know they've been swept along on this path. Adam Clark, who is a, a commentator, he writes this. The great lesson to be learned in this verse is that sin is progressive. One evil propensity or act leads to another. He who acts by bad counsel may soon do evil deeds. And he who abandons himself to doing evil things may end up in a total apostasy from God. So point one, what does, what does the righteous, what doesn't the righteous do? He doesn't just go along with the crowd. He, he says, is there an ultimate authority out there that I can submit my life to and trust? Yes, God and his word. Now, what does the righteous do? What the righteous do do? Duty, duty, do. But his, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and 
night. Notice his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, some of you are going to say, oh no, here it comes. He's going to scold us for not reading our Bibles enough. Right? And <laughs> I don't even want to hear that sermon. You know, I, I teach a class um, studying and teaching the Bible. And for years, I, I, I taught it on campus at Moody. And the students were supposed to study. They're supposed to observation, interpretation, application. They're to observe a text, interpret the text, and apply the text, and then they give a presentation. And I realized about three years in, every single presentation on the Bible ends with, read your Bible more. I was like, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to jump out that window on the third floor. Right? Read your Bible more, be in church more, pray more. And that, that it's, it's like, oh. But notice... This doesn't say the righteous man just reads his Bible. He delights in the law of the Lord. By the way, law can be used to mean just the Ten Commandments. It can be used to mean the first five books of the Bible. And it can be used to mean just God's revelation in general. That's what it means here. The righteous man delights in God's word. So Psalm 1 isn't just about raw duty. Now, I think there's a place for the raw discipline of reading your Bible. Okay? But it's not okay to stay stuck there. You want to get to a place where it's your delight. You know, sometimes uh, when Elizabeth and I go out to eat, and we're just enjoying that hot dog combo, or in some other place. She'll go, see that couple over there? Oh, yeah. They're not married. Well, how can you tell? She goes, they actually enjoy one another. <laughs> so there are some couples who go to a counselor and the counselor says, well, the trouble is you don't have enough romance. You should have a scheduled date night. So they have a scheduled date night. But on their date night, they're just, they're, their talk is, oh, what are you going to get? You want to get the usual? Okay. Well, we better hurry up because the movie's going to, they're not, enjoy, they're just doing the discipline of date night. And there are Christians who just do the discipline of reading the Bible. And this is saying, you want to get to the point where you delight in God's word. Now, can I give you a secret here? There's no way you will ever get to the point of delighting in God's word until you first go through the discipline of reading it every day. You do, sometimes you just got to gut it out. But the key is not settling for raw duty, but seeking after and working hard for and not stopping until you find delight. Do you want it? Right. Now, and on his law he meditates day and 
night. And I'm going to come back to that because that's the key to everything here. All right? But before we talk about the word meditates, let's look at uh, the fruitfulness that comes from a life that delights in God's word. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. See the picture? That's actually planted in streams of water. That yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all he does, he prospers. So here, try this experiment. Move to Arizona. Okay, This is an expensive experiment. Buy two fruit trees. Plant them both in the sand in your backyard. Water one every day and don't water the other one. One will produce fruit, the other will shrivel up and die. One represents the Christian who delights in God's word because the water of his word is nourishing him and it's producing fruit. The other represents the person who isn't doing that. There's a lot of dried up, fruitless, joyless Christians reality. It's not because we don't have the Word. We ha- you, on, on your phone, just do the U Bible, 35 English versions and Hungarian and maybe even Scottish, right? It's not that we don't have, it's that we have an overabundance of it along with other things to, to steal our time away. Now, careful here, because it's possible for a Christian to read their Bible and still not absorb the water of the Word. Some of you know this. My wife Elizabeth, by the way, uh, Caitlin's having a baby and having a baby shower today, and Elizabeth's involved in that. I didn't leave her in Scotland. She's in Indiana. Indiana. But some of you know that she almost died from starvation. And you go, why didn't you feed her? No, she she ate. But she has this celiac disease, which we didn't didn't know what it was, but it, it destroys the lining of your intestines. So you can eat, but you can't get any nutrition. Right? So here's a tree in the streams of water, but here's, here's one in water, but it's dead. It's, there's no nutrition involved. Okay? So, so how do you get the nutrition? Well, whoops, let's go back. It's this word, meditates. On his law, he meditates day and night. There's a difference between reading, studying, even memorizing the Bible, and meditating on Scripture. You can do the first three. Read it, study it, even memorize it, and still not get any nutrition because we don't meditate on it. Spurgeon said this, 
it's not only reading that does us good, but the soul inwardly feeding on and digesting it. Then he writes this, A preacher once told me that he had read the Bible through 20 times on his knees and had never found the doctrine of election there. Very likely not. It's a most uncomfortable position in which to read the Bible. If he had sat in an easy chair, he would have been better able to understand it. <laughs> Spurgeon. The Latin word for meditate is related to the word ruminate, like what a cow does. Munches on the grass, and then he throws it up 17 times and munches on the grass. Okay, so that, that's the idea it's not just you go to church, it goes in one ear and goes out the other. It's not even you just did your, your daily bread reading for the day. It's that you actually spend time thinking about it. What does it mean? How does this verse relate to this verse over here? How do I apply this to my life? What do I need to change to really live this way? That takes time, and that takes work. So um, there's a, a Christian psychiatrist, Paul Meyer, and he did a, uh, an experiment years ago. I think he did this at Trinity Seminary where Elizabeth and I met. Okay? And what he did was he, he had a bunch of, of students, seminary students, so these are Christians, take Two tests. One, the MMPI, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. And it, and it basically determines, um, helps you determine mental health and emotional health. And he said there were three groups of people that everybody could fit into. Group A, those with exceptionally good mental health and a high level of maturity. Group B, those with apparently normal mental health and maturity. Group C, those with statistically significant psychological conflict and emotional pain. Okay, So then he also had them fill out a spiritual life survey. What, what practices are you engaged in as a Christian? And he wanted, to, and he correlated the practices with whether you're in group A, B, or C. And here's, here's what he found out. When the results came in, initially I was surprised and disappointed. Those seminary students who had been Christians for many years were only slightly healthier and happier than those who had accepted Christ in the, uh, the past one or two years. The difference was not even statistically significant. In other words, the longer you're a Christian and your health aren't necessarily correlated. However, my disappointment turned to joy. I learned one of the most valuable lessons of my life when I found the factor that made the difference. The factor was Scripture meditation. Students who practice almost daily Scripture meditation for three years or longer were significantly healthier and happier than students who did not meditate on Scripture daily. Also, they were significantly healthier and happier than students who had meditated on Scripture daily for uh, for less than three years. So he comes up with like ten conclusions. Let me just share a couple. One, one is this. Even though trusting Christ is all that is needed to obtain eternal life, 
experiencing the abundant life Christ promised and experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, rather than bitterness, depression, and anxiety are dependent upon a renewing of the mind. Second conclusion. Daily meditation on Scripture with personal application. How does this apply to me? How should I change? How should I live? This is the most effective means of obtaining personal joy, peace, and emotional maturity. Interesting, isn't it? So now, that is what the, uh, the righteous person who's righteous through faith in God, the, the way they flourish, the way they're like a tree planted by the water producing fruit, is you meditate on the Word of God, the truth of God, especially in a dry and weary land where there is no water, no truth. This is the key. Okay, so now let's talk about, oh, by the way, let me, let me comment on this. And whatever he does shall prosper. And you go, oh, that sounds like the prosperity gospel. We don't like the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says accept Jesus and he'll give you a, a Rolls Royce, a mansion, and make you healthy, happy. You'll never die. Right? No, you... you the, the prosperity that this is talking about is spiritual prosperity. So the Moody Commentary says this. The word prosper primarily refers here not to immediate material prosperity, but to success, that is spiritual success in one's life through applying and adhering to the law of the Lord. Okay, So um, that's what the righteous person doesn't do and does do. Now let's talk about the wicked. The way of the wicked. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So, so chaff, so this is a, a picture during harvest time when they gather the grain and, and then the grain is put in these uh, baskets, like big frisbee baskets, and you go out on a windy day, and you know what you do? You take that grain, and you toss it up in the air, and the heavy grain comes back down onto the frisbee, and the wind blows the chaff, the, the little popcorn papers away, because chaff is weightless. It's of no value. And what David is saying is the wicked who don't make God's Word the center of their life, they have no weight. The world may look at them, but on Judgment Day, they will fly away like chaff. King Belshazzar in the book of Daniel, he's the king of Babylon, and Babylon at this time is the superpower of the world. So here is the richest, most powerful man on the planet. He's having a drinking party with the goblets stolen from the temple in Israel. And he's having a good old time. He's the most powerful 
most successful man in the world, mocking God, and then in the middle of the party, a hand appears in the room, a disembodied hand, and it floats over to the wall and writes some words on the wall. Mean, mean, tekel, parson. Mean, mean, tekel, parson. You've been weighed, weighed, and found wanting. You've been weighed, and you're weightless. And he dies that night. The wicked are like the chaff. Weightless. They don't stand the, the judgment of, of uh, tossing the grain in the air. They blow away. They're like King Belshazzar. They've been weighed and found wanting. So David says this, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, right? They don't pass judgment, and they're not in the congregation of the righteous. And I think that's referring primarily on the other side of judgment. Right? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word knows here is not referring simply to God's omniscience. Oh, hey, look at what the righteous are doing today. No, it's not omniscience knowing. It's a loving, protective, caring for. Right? God know. It, it's not just read the Word of God and live by His principles and your life will go better. Now, I think that's true, but this is promising something more. It's that God is watching over the way of the righteous. He's lovingly caring for and protecting you. Doesn't mean you aren't going to fall or skin your knee. That's all part of God's plan to make us more like Christ. But He is over. He knows. He cares about the way of the wicked. But the way of the ungodly will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. And now we're back to the Sermon on the Mount. Two gates, two paths, two trees, two foundations, two destinies. Away from me or well done, good and faithful servant. So, I'm going to close with two asking you to make two choices. Choice number one. Which path are you on? Are you on the path of the righteous or the path of the wicked? Again, the path of the righteous is not, I work really hard to earn God's salvation. No. The path of the righteous trusts Christ. I, I have nothing to offer. He paid it all. I trust in Him. And now, out of love for Him, I delight in His Word. Okay? Or do you say, no, that's too restrictive. 
I'm on the other path. I want to challenge you, encourage you, plead with you to step onto the path of the righteous. Make a decision in your heart, in your head, in your will, and give your life to Christ. Okay? Second choice, those of you who have already done that, could you spend today, the rest of the day, or at least some time, asking yourself this question. What do I need to do so my delight is in the law of the Lord? Do I need to schedule a quiet time? Do I need to, do I need to pick a book of the Bible? I'm doing Galatians right now. Okay? Where I, I'm going to really study it hard. Do I, do I need to, to turn off the noise? What can you do? What will you do so the word of the Lord becomes your delight. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we admit we are distracted by lots of input all around us. In our pockets, our phones, and at home, our computers and TVs. And then there are people who do not give godly counsel. And Lord, too often we get swept up. I pray you would put a new desire, a new love, a new tenacity in our hearts. A new love for your word so we meditate on it and we delight in it. So Lord, do your work in us and I pray you would change us. I pray for those who have been drawn away from your word that you would put that new passion in there and then you would remove discouragement and depression and anxiety and fill us with a confidence that comes from knowing your word, meditating on your word, and living by your word. And we pray that you would receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.